On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers coaching staff is nearly complete. What do we make of the newest names added to the mix? What do they bring to the team? Then, let's take a trip back to when the Packers 2018 season really started to unravel. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here once again. Happy to be looking at the short end of this cold snap. It's going to start getting better here soon. I know it's not quite as cold in Northwest Ohio as it is in Wisconsin and maybe some other places where you might find yourself on this particular day, but it's been plenty cold here. Cold is mostly just annoying. It's not the most pleasant thing in the world, but still, would you rather have it be like it was this week or Any other temperature, I think you'd choose any other temperature. But you do get to combat the cold in some fun ways. For me, that's using our fireplace a little bit more, always good, and indulging in one of my favorite things, which, as you know, last week, from last week, is pie. In this particular instance, one of those ginormous Costco chicken pot pies. See, just look how versatile pie can be. Delicious in so many ways. Anyway, you're not here for pie takes. You're here for thoughts about the Packers. Let's talk a little bit about the Packers, particularly the new coaches added to the mix this week. First and foremost, the guy who is actually officially on the staff because the second hire hasn't been officially announced by the team, Alvis Witted, the new wide receivers coach for the Packers, a former seventh-round pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars back in 19. 19- 98, he played nine seasons in the NFL between Jacksonville and Oakland, and then he spent the last seven years coaching with Colorado State. I don't have a whole lot to add here. Is he a good coach? Is he a bad coach? I don't know. Some of the stuff that I've read about him makes him seem like he's a pretty conscientious guy, really invested in his guy's success, so that's good to hear. Um, I think he compares very favorably, Gary pointed this out, to Joe Witt. Take that for whatever it's worth in terms of the success that Joe Witt had, had but at least a a uh, a personality similar to Mr. Witt. Um, I do, though, kind of like the former player approach, especially one guy or one who has the sort of bona fides that a guy like Alvis Witted does. Not so much in terms of the success that he had, although playing in the NFL for nine years is success in and of itself. But if you look up his athletic accomplishments, I think that says something to guys. Uh, he is a legit NFL caliber athlete, or or it was, and a, a legit Olympic caliber athlete too. And I think backwards, though it may seem a little bit, I think it's easier to sell to a player, hey, I ran a 4-3 and I played in the NFL, than it is to sell, hey, hey, I have a lot of great advice that may be able to help you as a player. I think it's a lot quicker to connect with a, with players when you can say, hey, I've done what you do and I've been through the things that you've been through than just from a conceptual perspective. Plus, he actually has had a fair amount of success with the players he's had at Colorado State. So not insignificant there either. Then the Packers add Sean Menenga, reportedly, the former Cleveland Browns assistant special teams coach during Mike Pettin's tenure there and a few seasons prior. Uh, he's been coaching at Vanderbilt the last couple of years and has had a fair amount of success there. How do you grade a special teams coach hire? I don't really know. Um, he's not Ron Zook, I can tell you that. 
I can tell you that I worked with a guy named Sean Menenga, different spelling, and he was pretty great. So I think that's as good a reason as any to approve of this hire. More specifically for the Packers, though, I think if he can do better than having the Packers special teams actively make the team worse, this hire is a win. And that is an extremely low bar, but that's kind of where we're at at the uh, at the current stage of the Packers special teams coach process. Do kind of have to mention a follow-up here, an anecdote, though. Tom Silverstein reporting this week. Um, Dean Rizzi was, I guess, a little bit more serious, serious of a candidate than maybe we thought. The reason he didn't get hired wasn't so much money as the Packers seemed to kind of just have bungled it a little bit. You should read his entire story at PackersNews.com or at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's website. But basically, the sum total of what happened here was uh, the Packers, specifically Matt LaFleur, talked with Rizzi. They seemed to have hit it off. They did not blow his socks off with a deal right away. They eventually came back later and said that they would meet the number that he was looking for. But Rizzi's kind of like, eh, kind of want to move on at this point. And to me, that kind of just seems like a rookie coach in a young personnel department being a little bit out over their skis. That's the sort of thing that you bungle when you're not super experienced in this job. Maybe it ends up being a good thing. Maybe you get the guy you want and not a guy you have to talk into taking taking the job. I don't know. But that is what it is. It's not great for the Packers, but it happened, and uh, hopefully it's a learning experience for those involved. Not a lot else going on this week. We talked about Jimmy Graham coming back to the Packers semi-officially, I guess. Uh, So that just leaves us more time to dive back into the games that happened in 2018. Again, why are we doing this? I think it's worth teasing out the truth of the narratives that kind of emerged during the 2018 season. There may be some important things that we forgot, And it also helps us remember who did what and when. Asking three questions about each particular game. What led up to this game? What happened in in this game? And how should we remember a particular game? Sound good? Good. Let's pick up where we left off with game three. The Packers travel to Maryland to take on the Washington Redskins in week three, September 23rd, 2018. What led up to this game? A big move for the Packers. A couple of them, in fact. Aaron Jones, for one, returns to the lineup. He had been suspended, but is suspended no longer. I don't think anybody really expected him to have a huge role right off the bat. But the role that he did have ended up being an issue for weeks to come. Aaron Rodgers, for most of the week, was again listed as questionable. And people were worried about the Packers' secondary. We did a questions or mailbag episode, whatever you want to call it, leading up to this game. And we got one really interesting question that ended up kind of playing out in an interesting way. In this particular game, Jared Hernandez asked, can we really trust Kentrell Brace all season? And I think we concluded by saying, no, I don't think we can trust him. Well, looking back at the answer, I know exactly what we said. No, I don't think we can trust Cantrell Bryce all season. And we kind of got a good look why in week two as the Vikings kind of repeatedly victimized him deep. And the Packers probably should have done more in the offseason and even in the regular season to upgrade their safety position. But that having been said, I also noted that I thought Cantrell Bryce was good enough to win with. Arguing that his issues seemed pretty correctable. Well... Maybe, maybe not, as we saw in this particular game. 
People overall, though, pretty optimistic going into this game with Washington. Uh, referring back to our weekly poll at the time, most people felt pretty confident the Packers were going to win. 88% of voters rated their confidence at a three or four, three or four out of four, that the Packers would come out on top. And I predicted a Packers win, too. Quoting from that podcast, the preview podcast, quote, the Packers certainly haven't blown the doors off anybody so far, but they seem like a team ready to take control of a matchup. I predict the Packers take care of business in this one, beating Washington 30-14. to I continued, that's not good enough. Try as I might, I can't shake the feeling that Aaron Rodgers is really due for one of those games. You know the ones, those games where he comes out cooking from the start, and it doesn't matter how many points the opposing team puts up, you just know it won't be enough. The last time he had a game like that was almost a year prior when the Packers put on their all-white color rush uniforms to beat up on the Bears. Sooner or later, Rodgers is going to have another such game. Why couldn't it be this week? Why not indeed? What happened in this game? Well, despite my prediction, the Packers did not take control of the matchup. In fact, it was Washington that came out and took control of this matchup pretty much from the word go. They came out hot and took uh, took advantage of a very banged-up Packers secondary. Kevin King and Josh Jones were both inactive for this game, and right off the bat, the Redskins came out and scored in four plays, including a 20-yard pass to Vernon Davis on their fourth, first, first drive, and then a 46-yard touchdown pass where Paul Richardson essentially just ran right through the Packers secondary. Packers and Redskins trade punts. Packers have a three and out in there. Then Washington goes for another touchdown on a 10-play, 79-yard drive. The Packers get a decent drive of their own going, but then they have a key third-down conversion wiped out by a penalty and have to settle for a field goal, 14-3. But Washington, on its next drive, goes eight plays, 98 yards, and scores a touchdown. Suddenly, 21-3 midway through the second quarter, not quite as expected. The Packers do come back a little bit right away, almost right away. Uh, they hook up, or Aaron Rodgers hooks up with Geronimo Allison for a big touchdown pass, the second score of the season for Geronimo and the second score of 39 yards or longer. A big play threat right out of the gates here is Allison. But of course, it is all for naught, as on their very next drive, Washington goes for a five-play, 74-yard drive including a 50-yard pass to Vernon Davis, which, in fact, was the fifth play of 20 or more yards allowed by the Packers' defense in the first half alone. 28-3. The Packers nearly got on the board again late in the first half, but a botched field goal on the final play sent the Packers into halftime down 28-10. Not 28-3. The game pretty much was academic from that point. But don't blame the defense because the defense really stiffened up in the second half. The Redskins only had 63 yards after halftime, six of them passing, just 57 rushing. They averaged 2.8 yards per play. But the but the offense, oh boy, the offense, it did not do much in the second half at all. Here was a summary of all of the Packers drives in the second half. This is as the defense is completely shutting down the Redskins offense. Punt, 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 field goal, end of game. That's how the Packers' drives went throughout the second half. Not super great. Packers lose this one embarrassingly to the Redskins. Just 
a game that should have been won, a game that they lost to a far inferior opponent. How do we remember this game? How should we? Well, this should be the game that I think rammed home the idea that their Packers had some serious issues on offense. They just could not ended, they could not get out of their own way at all. Here are the plays that ended Packers' non-scoring drives. A Randall Cobb drop, a Devontae Adams drop, an Aaron Rodgers overthrow when his arm was hit. Faced some pressure there. They had the bobbled snap on the field goal attempt. Randall Cobb dropped a pass on a fourth down. Lance Kendricks dropped a pass. They had a pass short of the sticks on a third down and then had a holding call to boot. Randall Cobb fumbled. And Aaron Rodgers had an incomplete pass. This game also showed that the defense could be okay, except when the opposing offense was on script. And that was an issue that we saw with Mike Pettin's defense throughout the preseason, throughout the first two weeks of the season, while the the opposing offense was in their scripted portion of their game plan. The Packers' defense couldn't stop them. Couldn't stop them at all. But as soon as they kind of ran out of their scripted plays, the Packers' defense suddenly looked dynamite. But they just couldn't get out of their own way early. This also showed that there were some serious issues with the secondary, particularly the safeties. And those issues were not going to go away. If Alex Smith can beat you deep, anybody can beat you deep. And teams did beat the Packers deep throughout the remainder of the season. Finally, and there's nowhere else to put this, but Muhammad Wilkerson saw his season come to an end in this particular game. When he was hit in the leg by Kentrell Bryce, on just an ugly-looking play, if you look back and watch it, which I do not encourage, but just ugly. Not, not a great way for Wilkerson to end his season, and really a bummer there. Um, he seemed excited to be in Green Bay, and boy, you don't know what his future holds. If he doesn't end up back with Green Bay, he's probably signing a probably close to the veterans minimum somewhere. So not pretty. Packers fall to one, one, and one through the third game of the season. Fortunately, they've got a tune-up game. The Buffalo Bills are coming to Lambeau Field for their noon game on September 30th, 2018. And the Packers made some moves leading up to this game. Devon House went to injured reserve, thank goodness there, and Bashad Breland signed with the Packers. He didn't play in this game, but he was with the Packers as early as September. Took him a while to get out on the field. He kind of looked like a guy who hadn't played football in 10, 11 months when he finally did get out on the field, at least early on, but that was to be expected, and it was nice to finally have him out there when he did get out there. And he did eventually, thankfully. Also happening this week, Byron Bell officially moves into the starting lineup. Here's what we said at the time. Quote, if you have to make do anywhere in the offensive line, right guard isn't the worst place to do it. But Bell may not be the most reliable option. He's played 93 games with 74 starts during the regular season, but he has started just one game at right guard. Even if it's not necessarily a huge problem, it's just another hole the Packers have to worry about filling with Aaron Rodgers already battling mobility issue. Spoiler alert for the final 12, including this one, 13 games of the season, the Packers would not fill that hole at right guard. It would continue to be an issue, and Byron Bell would be part of the problem. Also worth noting, Randall Cobb is officially hurt now, starting the long, sad decline of his season. And I kind of think at this point we transition from surely this will be the game from when the Packers break out 
to, well, the Packers might be able to get some stuff done, but who really knows? At the time, I thought the Packers would be able to take advantage of a rookie quarterback in Josh Allen and do enough to get a win. My final prediction for the score was 24-13. to Not super great there, but at least the Packers win. Voters in our weekly poll felt pretty strongly. Uh, 75% had their confidence at a 3 or higher out of 4. That was not quite as high as the week prior, but still fairly high. What happened in this game? Well, this game, like I guess an unfortunate amount of them as this season went on, was not so much about what happened during the game as what happened after it, namely the post-game press conference, but we'll get to that in a second. The game itself contained very few surprises. The Packers did enough to win on offense. Josh Allen looked like a rookie quarterback who was a little bit inconsistent, very inconsistent, I suppose. The play-by-play in particular is barely worth talking about. Just a wet, soggy game. The Packers in throwbacks. Just not a, a, a terribly pretty game, though the Packers do win 22 to nothing. The offense just flat-out bad in this game. Here is an eight-drive eight stretch that took place through the second and third quarters, starting with a drive that started with 921 left in the second quarter. Interception punt. Field goal, field goal, turnover on downs, punt, fumble, punt. Not great against the Buffalo Bills, a team you should probably be taking apart. Also worth noting, this is Aaron Rodgers' first of two interceptions this year. It was tipped both at the line of scrimmage and by Jimmy Graham, but still an interception it was. The defense, on the other hand, was very good. Um, On offense, you can have games where... You have impressive stats, but you're really not that great. That's a lot harder to do on defense. The Packers' defense was good, and yeah, there are the caveats that it was against the Bills. It was against rookie Josh Allen. But still, they forced six three-and-outs, three in each half. Kyler Fackrell had a big game, three sacks. (laughs) At that point, he had five sacks in his career previously. Jair Alexander got his first career interception, and HaHa Clinton Dix got his third interception of the season in just the fourth game of the year. And that interception itself was a, a pretty spectacular one. Uh, made a nice break on the ball, hammered Kelvin Benjamin as he made the pick. Just a great, great play. Since there's not a whole lot else to talk about in the game itself, let's, let's just throw out a few more random details from this particular game. Mercedes Lewis played 17 snaps in this game, the third most he'd play all year. Equinemius St. Brown was active in this game, but he didn't play it down. Kind of hilariously, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams both got the same number of carries, just 11 apiece. Jones had 67 yards and a touchdowns, and Jamal Williams had just 27 yards and no touchdowns. Jones, in his day, um, had a 30-yard touchdown as well. I suppose you can note that other than the touchdown run, Jones ran 10 yards for or 10, 10 times for 37 yards, but still the touchdown run happened. And 67 yards are 67 yards no matter how you get them. Reggie Gilbert had a sack in this game, as many as Nick Perry and Clay Matthews put together, even in a day when the Packers were getting to Josh Allen seemingly at will. Geronimo Allison, too, was good again. He had 80 yards through the air, and what pretty much resulted in what pretty much turned out to be, rather, his last quote-unquote real game of the year. Finally, Devontae Adams got 14 targets, 
which is interesting because of something we're going to talk about here in just a second. Specifically, how we should remember this game. This was the game that set up the final story arc in the Mike McCarthy era. And it all kind of hinges on Aaron Rodgers' post-game press conference. Here are a few of the things that he said in that post-game newser. Quote, we were terrible. That's what it was. It was as bad as we've played on offense with that many yards in a long time. Another question. I think a lot of people played really good, but there was no flow to the game. There was a little bit in the first half after that, and he trails off. Somebody asked, do you think it had anything to do with personnel? That's not a question for me. Somebody asked a different question, whether, you know, what he thought about the team's effort overall. Well, we were championship level, defense level, and non-playoff level offensively today. Extended quote here on Devontae Adams. We need to find ways for to find our playmakers. We need to find ways for our playmakers to get more opportunities. Devontae is a tough cover for anybody, but he should have had 20 targets today. They couldn't stop him. They dared to play one high today. So we need to find ways to get him involved. And Jimmy. How do you do that? Tom Silverstein asks. Quote, it's by the plan. Find ways to get him in number one spots. A good follow-up question later on, somebody asks, are you still getting the input you want, the input into the offense? Rogers says, coaches put the plan together. I tell them what calls I like, and we go. Now, just at face value, there's not really a lot there. Other than that quote that, you know, somebody asks, you know, why isn't he getting more opportunities and saying it's the plan or it's by the plan. There's not a lot of Rodgers just coming straight out and saying, hey, the game plan sucked and Mike McCarthy needs to fix the game plan, but this is as close as Aaron Rodgers is probably going to come to saying that. And from this point on, it's Aaron Rodgers versus Mike McCarthy for the rest of the season. Mike McCarthy, to his credit, did not ever really respond publicly. And I think it's the right call for him not to respond via the media. That's never been his style. It was the right call here. But it's wrong for McCarthy to not really respond at all. And you can tell he didn't ever really respond because things never really changed. And that's proof in hindsight that this relationship had gone off the rails, I think. Healthy relationships can improve through adversity. And most, I think it's not unfair to say, most healthy relationships do improve with adversity. Failing ones just fall apart. And this one fell apart. And this is where the cracks really started to show for the Packers. The other shoe doesn't fall for some time here, but this is where things started to unravel. I often like to go back and look at TV shows that have come to the end of their run. You watch through all of the episodes, kind of, well, you binge watch them all. And you can look back and see like three things. When you look back at a show, you see the actual series finale, the actual end of the season, the actual end of the show. And then I think there's always kind of a a true series finale. There's always an episode that feels like, yes, this is where the show should have ended. This is the, if you stopped it right here, this would be the actual end of the show. And it's usually because there's a story arc that kind of set that up on its own. It might not be the biggest one, the one that they went out on, but it's the one that they set up to kind of bring a show to a big 
definitive conclusion, usually at the end of the season, but a season that doesn't end up being the actual end of the show. Then you've got the start of that final arc. And I think that's what we see here. This is the start of the final arc. It concludes, maybe not when Mike McCarthy was fired, maybe at a point earlier than that. But at some point, this is what really killed the 2018 Packers, even before the season came to an end. And I'm excited to explore those other parts of that story as we go deeper into this look back at the 2018 season. While we've got you here, I wanted to take a second to look at HaHa Clinton Dix. Because we, we pointed out in this review that he had had three picks in four games at this point of the season. But I've wondered, was he ever really that good in 2018? Over the past two and a half seasons, the last real two seasons plus that he was in Green Bay, it seemed like HaHa Clinton Dix was always playing the overthrow. Most of his interceptions were either tip balls that went long or just passes that got way overthrown. And he just kind of camped under him. And in a lot of ways, despite a couple good plays, the pick that he made against Washington was good. The pick that he made against the Bills was pretty good. But in a lot of ways, that was still true in 2018. He was always playing super, super deep. And we can find evidence of that in kind of an unusual way. As we've looked at our explosive stat or explosive plays stat, kind of in a league-wide perspective, you notice something interesting because pro football reference, when you search for, use the search parameters that we do to come up with these stats, you can see who ends up making tackles on explosive plays. And explosive plays are ones that, by their very definition, send the offense deep downfield, either on a run or a pass. And haha, Clinton Dix is near the top of the league, the entire league, in tackles that happened on explosive stats. Haha, Clinton Dix just never gets to the ball until it's way downfield. The book on him coming out of Alabama was that he was pretty much a free safety's free safety. He was the deep cover guy, the center fielder type. And in hindsight, having seen this trend where he only seems to get picks on super deep overthrows, I think he's a lot like that. But he was like a center fielder who played so far back that the only way you could get it past him was to hit the baseball to the moon. Ha-ha, Clinton Dix only ever showed up in those kinds of plays. Yep, he did make a couple good ones in 2018, but ultimately he just kind of ended up being the center fielder that was so deep that he could really just wait for the ball to roll to him and nothing would ever get by him. Sure, that's effective in one way, but it's not necessarily effective in a way that helps your team. The Packers got an absolute steal when they ripped a fourth-round pick away from Washington for his services. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. You can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. Reach us via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We always appreciate your support, however it may come, whether it's leaving a review on iTunes or the listening platform of your choice or by supporting us financially at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or via our Teespring store by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. We do love to hear from you. However you would choose to reach out, any feedback you give us helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. Thank you for listening to this episode of Blue 58.